Welcome to Downton. Hello there. Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall We Go Through, the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hi. Before diving into this juicy episode, I just want to make a quick apology uh, because when I listened to the first two episodes, I realized that I use a lot the word phrase and I got things mixed up because the word phrase in French means sentence. And I know the word phrase exists, but it doesn't mean exactly the same thing. So just sorry about that. Hopefully you understood what I meant. But yeah, I would try not to use that word again. But yeah, we can close this digression and then talk about episode three of Downton Abbey. Episode three, or the most scandalous episode of the whole show. Or one of the most. No, I do believe it's definitely the biggest scandal we had on the show. And it's episode three. I remember the first time I watched this show. I think I watched the three, the first three episodes in a row, actually. Usually I do that. I have to go until episode three. I remember just like, you know, I've watched the first one. And I thought, it's nice. It's great. I like the show. Then the second one, I say, okay, nice characters and stuff. But then when I, when I saw episode three, I was like, okay, I'm hooked. I'm on it. This is amazing. Love this show. Just a big scandal. It's, I mean... I was completely on it. Yeah, episode three, the one with the Turk. Again, very obvious. But when I had decided to rename uh, the episode, I really wanted to have a title that if you have seen the show, I know it quite well, you know exactly which episode I'm talking about. So obviously, if I said the one with the Turk, you know it's episode three of season one. So let's dive in. We're in 1913. And in the beginning of the episode, we see Bates meeting Gwen in the village. So we're going to talk about Gwen first. So if you remember, Gwen received a package last episode um, and Anna thought it was an admirer. Well, now Gwen apparently has a big box in their room. And in that box, there's a typewriter. Gwen actually wants to leave service to be a secretary. So she took a course in shorthand. And obviously, when the typewriter is like open in their room, O'Brien comes in and they try to hide it. But we know when O'Brien is somewhere, there is trouble. Okay, because that's, that, that's her. We see her, we know trouble is coming. I just noticed something watching this episode that I've never noticed before. Anna and Gwen have different aprons. Like, they have the same dresses. And they have two uh, different ones, one for the day, the other for the the evening and they have different aprons one for the day and the other for the evening but both of them have different aprons and i never noticed that but then it kind of makes sense since anna is um the head housemaid so in terms of rank she's higher than gwen but i never literally i've never seen that so maybe you did and if you didn't well now you know they have different aprons to both of them because anna is head housemaid that was just a fact i noticed so yeah I said O'Brien means trouble and well obviously then the typewriter is in the servants hall and everyone is looking at it and well obviously O'Brien's like yeah I knew there was something wrong about it and stuff and I like what Anna says when she said that she wants to keep it private not secret and I like the difference because it's just you know they're, they're together all the time so she just wants to have something to just 
hers and I think you know again she didn't want people to make fun of her so Gwen tells everyone that she wants to leave service and Anna and Bates are on her side but you can see that lots of them are, are quite confused like what is wrong with being in service and the thing is nothing it's just that's not what she wants to do and there you have uh, what Julian calls a Downtonesque moment when both side are perfectly reasonable like Carson and the other servants that are quite content to be in service they are right I mean there's nothing wrong with them wanting to stay in service but Gwen is also right because she doesn't well she wants more she wants to do something else so no one is to blame for thinking like there is no right side in to this argument but then obviously Gwen just realized that they can't, some of them can make fun of her and she feels bad and she just realized that maybe her dream will not come true. You know, like she said, uh, people think I'm thinking above myself. There's a moment where she have doubts about it. She even said, I was born with nothing and I'll die with nothing. And Anna is, is trying to cheer, cheer her up, Bates too, because why not? Why can't she at least try to get out of it? And of course, if Carson knows, he had to talk about it with Robert. So now all the upstairs knows and they're at dinner and they talk about it. And I like the different reaction from the people. First, you have Violet Duke, who does not understand at all. Like, she's like, why would she want to leave to be a secretary? Like, why? And so I'm like, why can't she? And I like the different opinions from the three daughters you have mary she doesn't care well she doesn't care because she's occupied with something else at the moment you have edith that is really like does it affect concerns me no so i don't really care and then you have sybil which we already said is the best of the three daughters like she's not even like well she can leave it's like we need to help her and i like it because you know most of them just talking about like cora says uh, we need to know if the people that work here are content, like if they like their life here because we are their employers. But Sybil is like, oh, if she wants to leave, I'm going to help her leave. So yeah, so that's the beginning actually of something. And I really like because every time Robert is always in the middle of Violet and, and Isabel at, at dinner because obviously they're bickering about it. Like one is like, I don't know why she wants to leave service. And the other's like, well, I mean, why couldn't she? So, and Robert is definitely me that, like, why every time am I here? And his face, every time, one is just answering back to, to the other. It's like, oh God, please leave me alone. <laughs> and yeah, well, when I say Sybil is going to help, she is definitely going to help. And we love her for that because one moment she goes downstairs to see Gwen and to tell her that she found she found a job advertisement which is so great i mean she literally looked for it and she came to tell her well i have found this i can write to you a recommendation and you know everything will be fine and oh, can we just imagine because sybil how old is she she must have been like 17 or 18 she's like the youngest but she definitely is the more mature of all of them and i love her for it you know like yeah sybil you go girl and I just wanted to give a shout out to Mrs. Patmore because I do believe she has some of the best lines 
definitely the best line downstairs. She's kind of a violet downstairs. And she had this funny line um, when they're all in the servants' hall talking about Gwen and the typewriter. And she says to Daisy, I said you could go for a drink of water, not to trip up the Nile. So we said that in the beginning of the episode, we saw Gwen and Bates in the village. He saw an advertisement for a limb corrector. And he goes to the shop to see that limb corrector. And this whole storyline makes me cringe every time. Basically, it's torture. Like, he has to wear this to correct his limb every day, every hour. And we can see that he's in pain through the whole episode. And a lot of people are concerned for him. Like, you have Anna first, you have Mrs. Hughes, you have Robert. Like, they're concerned because he, well, he's in pain. And Mrs. Hughes, like, literally every time he's in pain, she's there. She's like, oh, what is happening to you? Every time he winces because his leg hurts him, she's there. And, well, actually, a moment she forces him to tell her what's happening. Just after she saw Robert, so Robert was with Bates and he came out of his dressing room. Robert was worried and he just asked Mrs. Hughes, I wonder if you, well, never mind. So Mrs. Hughes know there is something. So she literally goes into the dressing room, close the doors, and now you're going to tell me what is happening. And, oh my God, this scene, so much emotions. And when you show her his leg and her face, I mean, and when you see that, you're like, oh my God, like, it's definitely torture. And then when they go together to throw the corrector in the water, and he promises her that he would never try to change himself, and she says, We all carry scars, Mr. Bates, inside or out. You're no different to the rest of us, remember that. And they threw it, good riddance. And I feel really bad for Bates because you realize now that he wants to change for Anna. Because we've seen that, you know, we, we saw that spark, we saw there's something happening. I believe he's generally falling in love with Anna and he... Well, he wants to get rid of his limb because he wants to be a better man and he thinks that it would be better if he didn't, didn't have his limb. So he was ready to torture himself. He was actually already torturing himself just for the love of her. So we have to give him that. I mean, that's, that's sad. But I like what Mrs. Hugh says because she's right that a lot of them, even if, if you follow through the whole season, have scars sometimes inside so you don't see them but they still have it and yeah like yeah I really feel bad for him and I love this uh, scene because I think it's important for what's going to happen next now Bates and Mrs. Hughes have gone uh, a bit uh, closer to each other we had like Carson and Bates in um, the previous episode and now we have him and Mrs. Hughes and I think it's important for well what will happen in the future. Bananas. So we talked about our servants. Let's talk about the aristocrats. And before talking about the big scandal, let's talk about Edith a bit. So, well, Edith, she's trying to get closer to Matthew because in the previous episode, like she told Mary that she didn't dislike Matthew. And Mary was really like, I don't give a damn about him. I don't marry him. So you know what? She just thought, if Mary doesn't want to marry him, why can't I? And she's right, you know, why couldn't she? Because she wanted 
where she would have wanted to marry Patrick. So why not? So she is trying. And so she went to see him to tell him, well, maybe we could take a look at some local churches and make a date of it. And she's so happy when he says yes. And you can see already that he's not totally comfortable. Maybe he just realized what is going on, that she might like him. And he doesn't, well, he like her, but not like she would want him to like her. So, yes, and they, well, they took that day, you know, to look at some local churches and it didn't go according to plan because well, he was apparently uh, very enthusiastic. So what she thought might have been something a bit romantic, well, it wasn't. And well, he started talking about Mary. So obviously, the last thing it is wants to do is to talk about her sister. And you can see on her face how her expression changes when he just said Mary and her bitterness about her sister when she says she likes to be in at the kill because they talk about the hunt and stuff and so Matthew is not interested in Edith she tries again after dinner and well I just want to say poor Edith like because she there's nothing wrong in her wanting to be closer to Matthew and I just want to say good for her like she's trying you know like she went for it she's like okay if mary doesn't want him i'm going to tell him that i like him i mean i think it's kind of brave to literally go for it like go and tell him let's go out together like it's not really like that but just you know and i i kind of feel bad for her on that because well she's always in mary's shadow whatever she does like she Mary was supposed to marry a man that she, that she was in love with. Now Mary, everybody wants to her to marry another man that she kind of like, but this man doesn't like her. I mean, that's a lot to take on, you know? I feel really bad for her, at least in this episode. Let's talk about Mary now. Because, well, last episode, Mary was corresponding to Evelyn Napier. And she even said that it was her Perseus in her story of Andromeda and her, the sea monster. And well, we have a little chat between Cora and Mary about this Evelyn Napier and Mary telling her mother that she does not dislike him, which is a lot since, you know, if Mary tells you she doesn't dislike you, it's almost like she loves you. And this scene... I just have to talk about Cora in this scene. So I talk about it and she's like, like he's coming to Yorkshire for the hunt. And well, Cora's like, well, he should like come and stay in you know, Downton. And they talk about it. Mary's like, yeah, because obviously if he stays at Downton, it's because he's kind of a suitor for Mary and stuff. And Cora just said, well, his mother is a friend of mine. And then Mary's like, well, his mother is dead. And Cora's face at that moment always cracks me up because oh my god I mean <laughs> this is actually very funny and I, I just have one thing to say does Cora actually have any friends like I'm, I'm it's really sad to say but I do believe that she doesn't really have friends that, that her only friend is Robert her husband but anyway, I think this scene is really funny. 
So, well, even Napier, who's the son of Lord Branksom. So, yeah, we said he's a Viscount and an heir. So that's, that's nice. If Mary can't inherit and doesn't want to marry Matthew, that could be a nice prospect. And I talk about it. Like Cora, Violet and Robert, and God, I love this conversation. <laughs> um, because Cora is like, we, I think we should encourage it. Like it's her initiative. So that's even better. You know, and so she asked this question, is the family an old one? And now we have another insult to her American blood by Violet. Older than yours, I imagine. And there's plenty of money. Really? Mama, you've already looked him up in the stud books and made inquiries about the fortune. Don't pretend otherwise. Are you afraid someone will think you're American if you speak openly? I doubt it'll come to that. They're like, okay, maybe that would be nice if Mary can, since, you know, with Matthew, it doesn't really work. Maybe that can be nice. But Mary is always acting like a sport child when her mother just came to see her and said, well, Evelyn Napier is, is going to stay. And where well, he is coming with uh, Mr. Pamuk, he's here on business about the peace in Albania where something kind of serious. And so Cora's like, well, well, you kind of like this Mr. Napier where they're coming for the hunt. Mary going to ride with them because she likes to hunt. You know, she said that to Matthew. And Mary's like, oh, must I? I don't want to do it. I mean, please just shut up. I am so sorry, but every time that Mary acts like a sports child, I just, I cannot. And every time that she is rude to her mother, I cannot either. Like, she irritates me so much. And then hunting day. And so we are introduced to Evelyn Napier. Played by Brendan Patricks. And I just have to say, I love Evelyn Napier. I love this character. I think Brendan just portrays him really well. I love him. Okay. And then we see Mr. Pamuk. And I just <laughs> love it because, well, he is not what Mary thought he would be. You know, she had her own idea. Funny little foreigner with a wide toothy grin and hair reeking of pomade. And well... Her face when she sees him. And there's a sentence in the script book that I think is the perfect summary for what she sees. <laughs> Riding towards her is one of the handsomest, sexiest men she has ever seen in her life. And her face, well, let me tell you, it was my face too when I, when I saw this episode the first time. Because I was like... Tobias, what are you doing here? <laughs> Tobias or Fool, uh, if people have seen Divergent. And actually at that time, I had a crush on Theo James. Well, this episode kind of killed it instantly. So thank you, Downton Abbey, for that. But I mean, her face is hilarious because she definitely did not expect that. And you can see that Evelyn is already annoyed by the whole situation. Like, I should never have bring him here. And so, well, Mary, she's all, like, she kind of charmed already. And she, it's like she is under his spell. And so, well, they go hunting, the three of them with the others. And Pamuk and Mary are being a bit bored. And she even says, Oh, I was never much one for going round by the road. And remember what I said about Mary, that I think she has two characters, or two sides of 
uh, of a character, like the one that wants to appear bored and reckless and brave, and the other that is the kind of the real her. Well, that she really wants to be the bold type. And there's um, some lines that were cut and that I've read in the script book. And I, I thought it was really interesting when, especially when we know what's going to happen after. Um, he, Sepamux tells her, you believe in living dangerously then? And she answers, of course. What did the Frenchman say? L'audace, toujours l'audace. So well, audace means audacity. So it's like audacity, always audacity. Again, wants to appear much more reckless than she is. And so they go, I mean, they've been bored and they went off the road. And then they come home, back from hunting. Very interested scene because everyone is interested in the Turkish gentleman. And actually everyone is seduced. Like we have... Uh, this scene with Anna and Gwen and O'Brien like watching him from the stairs and their reaction I mean O'Brien doesn't say anything but she's she's curious and their reaction like whoa he's I mean he's beautiful <laughs> oh my god I love it and Thomas face is I mean he's pleased he like you can see he's pleased because he's the one that's going to take care of Mr. Pamuk and well let's just say he's not unhappy about it even Cora is seduced, I'm, I'm going to say. Like, because the guy just went here and kisses her hand. I mean, okay. Nice. <laughs> I even want to say Robert is seduced. Because uh, when he's speaking with Bates, he says, quite a treat for the ladies. And he calls him the gorgeous Turk. I mean, Robert, do you want to tell us something? I like Bates uh, joking. Um, because they, they say, I hope Thomas doesn't mind. And Bates uh, telling him, well, you know, Thomas, you must have cheered up when you saw the gentleman. <laughs> and I like that they talk about it like it's nothing. Because uh, what we already said, being homosexual back then, you could go to jail. And they all know, except Daisy. And the fact that they just talk about it, you know, like, like they would talk about the weather. I think it's, um, I like it. Then we have Thomas dressing Pamuk. And where Thomas is mistaken, like he went a bit forward and well, let's just say he thought maybe that something could happen between them. And well, obviously he was mistaken. And Pamuk is definitely not pleased. But he uses this at his advantage. He blackmailed Thomas. Um, and he said one of the most curious things. He says to him, Later tonight, I may need some help with the geography of the house. And I don't know about you, but this does not sound good at all. Definitely not. First time I, I listened to that, like, okay, I'm not sure I like where this is going. And then we have the dinner where they talk about Gwen. And I just want to say something about dinner. I haven't talked about it um, in the first two episodes, but the dinner scenes. I know they're really long to shoot, but they're always so well made because, well, that is the difficulty of it, but everyone has to have a close-up one more moment and everyone is talking. So you have so many different shots to do, but it's always so well made. I'm always amazed by how smooth it all appears 
And I know that, I, I don't know which episode someone said that, I think it was in the second one, maybe it was the director, I don't really remember, who said that sometimes they had to ask people to eat. Because obviously you have to do so many different shots that every time if you eat something, you have to eat it all over again. And so they, that the cast didn't really want to eat a lot because you have to like eat it a lot of times. And so sometimes he had to ask them, please eat. So it would look like a real dinner. <laughs> but I have to say, it is absolutely amazing. I love those things because there's so many things happening. And so during this dinner, um, where we have Mary sitting next to Pamuk and adoring it, and Matthew and Evelyn are, well, a bit annoyed and I even want to say jealous by the attention that Pamuk has uh, because they obviously both want Mary's attention and, well, she only have eyes for Mr. Pamuk. So, yeah, they talk about the hunt, like if they liked it and stuff. And then there is another line from Pamuk that, again, I don't like the sound of it. He says... Sometimes we must endure a little pain in order to achieve satisfaction. And, I mean, the whole Pamuk situation, every time I see him now because I know what's going to happen, I cringe. And this, I mean, this is, so, I mean, there's so many red flags in everything that he says. I'm so sorry, but like, you know, believing, living dangerously. Now he says that, like, endure a little pain in order to achieve satisfaction. This is red flags to me. Like, the, the guy, it just, it screams, go away. <laughs> like, this is, no go away but obviously mary she's delighted to have his attention Why? Well, again like we said it's definitely the handsomest sexiest man she has ever seen so and he is apparently interested in her so obviously she's like delighted and again uh we said that in the first episode but it is bored so naturally she is delighted and there's a remark from robert that i can like when he says when mary has more sutures tonight than the Princess Aurora. It makes me think about an other scene that we see in the future. Bananas. But I thought it was kind of funny. And so she has all her suitors. Matthew, Evelyn and Pamuk. And so Matthew tries to like chat with her. She actually tries to get her attention. And then when Evelyn is literally talking, she just ditches them. I mean, how rude. Evelyn is talking and she just, oh, excuse me, and she's leaving to go join Pamuk. But I mean, how rude is that? And they're both like, well, okay, well, it seems we're not as interested as him. And <laughs> again, Evelyn is completely it's like, I was a fool to bring him here. Like, what was I thinking? And I like when he says, well, I like him very much. So does everyone else, unfortunately. Oh God, poor Evelyn. I mean, we had poor Edith this episode, but I want to say poor Evelyn. I mean, oh, he's so nice. I like him. And then we have Mary and Pamuk alone. And just before going further into that, let's just take a break to talk about the painting. Because just before what's going to happen next, Pamuk asks her, is this Adela Francesca? And... I've seen this show lots of times and I never noticed that it is the painting. I mean, God, I don't know if you did, but I was like, 
Well, wait, Della Francesca, that rings a bell. I mean, uh, okay, the painting. Oh my God, I can't wait to talk about that because I love this storyline so much. But anyway, the painting. Bananas. So yeah, Mary and Pamuk are alone. He just asks her about the painting. And then he kisses her. But not just like gently. No, he kisses her. Like, this is brutal. And then he just asks her if he can come to her room. I like how her expression changes. Because first, when he kisses her, she is astonished. But she's not not pleased. It's like, oh my god. Like she, I mean, she has never been kissed by a man before. I don't think so. Even if she had, definitely not like that. But then when he he asks her if he can come to her room, she's like, she is definitely not pleased by his proposition. She's even shocked about it. She's like, well, no, definitely not. Let's consider your words unsaid. And there was um, lines that were cut that I've read in the script book. And again, lines that just, oh, screams red flags. The first time when he says that he wants to come to her room uh, tonight, he then repeats uh, what she said. L'audace, toujours l'audace. So again, <laughs> that doesn't sound nice. And when she just said, I'm going to go back to uh, my mother and my sisters, well, he said for himself, he said again, l'audace, toujours l'audace. And so that was cut. But the smile on his face, I don't like it. This just screams trouble. And this screams danger to me. The first time I saw that, I was like, what is happening? And then we see Thomas leading him in the corridor during the night. And, well, obviously we know he's leading him to Mary's room, like it's not a surprise, but when he, he literally just bargains in. He doesn't, I don't think he even knocks, he just comes in like, oh. And well, obviously she's shocked and she's really shocked by his boldness because she was all into like doing bold stuff. And, but that is way more, it's not even bold, it's like out of the rules. She's even shocked by what he's saying, uh, what he's proposing. I mean, when she says, you know, we, I would be ruined just if people knew we had this conversation. And then he tells her that she could still be a virgin for her husband. So first she thinks that he's proposing to her. And so he's like, well, I'm not sure your parents will be pleased at the idea of me being your husband, nor mine. And you can see the change of look uh, on her face, that she's kind of angry a bit, annoyed that his parents will not be pleased uh, of having her as a daughter-in-law. And something that Julian said, he said that this is very typical of the British aristocracy. They thought they were better than everybody else. (laughs) And so she's like, well... I am the daughter of an earl, so they should be pleased, you know. And if you just see that scene, you see there's a tiny change when he says, well, my parents will not be pleased either. And she's like, uh, excuse me, do you know who I am? That was just a tiny little funny thing into this whole scene because I don't like this scene at all. Well, let's go back to the whole virgin situation because this is uh, then something that was a bit of a scandal. After that, he says, a little imagination, you wouldn't be the first. And well, 
I had a chat with my friend about this scene and we didn't understand the same thing. And apparently, um, well, Julian was not really happy about this line because a part was cut. So I'm going to give you the real, like the official line that he wrote. A little imagination, a file of blood hidden beneath the pillow, you wouldn't be the first. And when this part was cut, he wasn't happy about it because he said it was needed so that people could actually understand. Like, obviously, you could still be a virgin for your husband. You can pretend to be. Because apparently there was something that was done back then. And they said, no, no way. Because he thought, if we do cut that, the whole file of blood hidden beneath the pillow, people might think about something else. Like, he didn't want to imagine that what people would think. But he said, we need to keep it. And then people said, yeah, but no, nobody's going to think something else. Like, well... Apparently, people thought about something else. And he had letters and calls of complaint, especially from Turkish people. And I had this talk with my friend and we just realized that he thought what some other people thought. I'm not going to explain like in, in detail, but I think you understand what I mean. And I, I remember I was talking to him and said, oh, well, no, I just thought, yes, she could still like, lie to her husband and say, oh, I'm a virgin when I'm not. Like, this is what I thought, you know. And he thought about some this something else. <laughs> and so about this scene, this part was cut and was definitely not happy about it. And I... I don't like this scene. Well, obviously, uh, because everything happened. But I am not totally comfortable with this scene because I do not believe that this was 100% consensual. In the end, she gives in to him before telling him that he was like her parents and that he believed that she was much more a rebel than she is. Because this is, this is the moment that she actually her truest her when she says, you believe I'm much more a rebel than I am. And when she tells him, well, I've never done anything. And th this is the real her, not the her she wants to be. And then she gives in to him. But I do believe that it was not 100% consensual. He persuaded her to have sexual relations with him. And she gives in to him. But it feels like, I don't know, this whole scene, I do not feel good about it. Because I believe that in the end she gave in because she wants to be this bold, reckless, I don't go by the rules girl. But you still have this part where she's like terrified by what might happen and the, what might happen is I might get pregnant. I don't know if they knew that back then that this is what you do to get pregnant. But I do believe that maybe in 1913 they might know. But anyway, when she, she literally asked him if it's safe again, I really don't like Pamuk and this whole scene just, I don't know, make me, makes me cringe every time. Because yes, she gives in and I believe that half of her wanted it, half of her didn't. And then she just gave in because he persuaded her and he's very charming. Maybe the part of her that wants to be bored was stronger than the other part of her. Now is the moment I give you my music of the day. You just imagine this in Mary and Pamuk on her bed. Her giving in to him and well I have to say every time since I've watched this episode every time I'm listening to this song I think about this scene and the whole Pamuk Mary situation I knew you were trouble when you walked in so shame on me now prove me to places I've never been 
that was uh, I Knew You Were Trouble, Taylor's version by Taylor Swift. And yeah, well, I knew you were trouble when you walked in. Like, this, well, this is me. This is me the moment he was said, I knew you were trouble. Like, I knew something would not go well in this situation. And just to end this scene, on a funny note, there is a line that was cut and I think it's really funny. Pamuk just tells her, I promise you a night you will never forget. No way. Well, that's definitely not what he meant, but yeah, definitely she would not forget it. I mean, <laughs> no way. And I just thought, I, I, to be honest, I don't know where they cut it. That would have been really fun to hear him say that. And then, well, like in the song, shame on her now. And But it's not her who's lying on the Koha ground. It's him lying dead in her bed. I know why I'm laughing. It's something that is not funny, but it's the whole, like, I promise you that we never forget. Like, well, definitely. So then Anna is awakened by Mary. Why? Because Mr. Pamuk is dead. Well, she thinks he's dead. No, she's definitely sure he's dead. In her bed. Shame on her now. And I love the relation of trust that they have between them because Anna is like, okay, I'm going to help you. We're going to find a solution. She's not, she's a bit shocked, but I would have gone mad if she had told me that. And so they, they realize they need to move him back. Like it's Anna said, we need to put him back in his room, but how are we going to do that? We need someone else. And obviously, I think Anna had the idea almost immediately. Like she says, who else has as much to lose as you if it ever gets out? Cora! And I mean, poor her. That must have been awful to be like woken up in the middle of the night. I mean, her face, she's so shocked. I like, I don't know why I'm laughing. Poor her. It's just the whole situation. I mean, of course she's shocked. There is a man naked, dead in her daughter's bedroom. I mean, well, do you have something more shocking than that? And Kawhi just asks her if, if he forced himself on her. She hesitates, but she says no. And again, I'm not convinced that he was 100% uh, consensual, but at least she said the truth. Like, she could have lied. Actually, my friend even told me that he wished she had lied. But what I don't like, it's like Mary is threatening her. And that is something that irritates me with Mary always. Like when she is afraid of her feelings, which happened a lot, she has to attack. And instead of just saying to her mother, I'm sorry, I made this terrible mistake. Like you need to help me because if you don't, I'll be ruined. She threatening her, say, I'll be ruined if you don't help me. Like, is that what you want for me? Is that you want for the family to be ruined? And she's right, okay, on that. She's right. But just, it's the way she's saying it. Can you just say, I'm sorry, I was stupid? No, you, why are you threatening her, your mother? She was nicely in her bed with her husband and she's just been woken up in the middle of the night to see that. I mean, please. So, well, yeah, obviously they move the body. And then... Daisy sees them. Well, actually, she sees Mary. She realized she was not alone, but she clearly sees Mary. So, trouble. We have a problem here, but let's talk about that later. So, the three of them put uh, him back in his room, 
and Cora, she is, I think she's not even angry. She's shocked. I don't think she ever believed one second that this could have happened. And well, she says, I feel now that I can never forgive what you have put me through this night. I hope in time I will come to be more merciful, but I doubt it. You won't help Papa, since it would probably kill him and certainly ruin his life. I will not. But I keep the secret for his sake, not for yours. And I just like the fact that she says, I feel now I can never forgive what you have put me through and not I can never forgive you. Because she could have said that, but she said that it's her issue is not with her daughter, it's what she did. So... Yeah, again, you see that she's a very forgiving person. And the fact that she doesn't want to say husband for his sake because, well, he would die. <laughs> Definitely. Like, I think if he had known that, he would have died of shock. Or maybe he would, well, no, say he would have killed Pamuk himself, but he was already dead. So, no. And then there was another uh, part that was cut when Mary tells uh, her mother about Anna that she won't be betray us. And Cora answer her, I'm sure she won't. It pains me to say it, but this morning I find that I trust a housemate more than I trust my own child. And this hurts. I have to say, this hurts. But I'm on Cora's side on this point. I'm really on her because Mary, I'm not saying that she's ungrateful, but if you just go back to how she talked to her, even in the previous episode, I know how like we haven't seen their whole relationship. But yeah, something happened that night and it changes Mary for sure. And about this whole story, actually, well, uh, they talked about it in the official podcast. Uh, but Julian, well, he, he said it too in, in the script book that it was inspired by a story that he heard. And I love the fact that it was inspired by a real story because it's very scandalous. Like, I think when you see that the first time, you're like, how I mean this is a bit far-fetched you know but it was actually inspired by something that really happened the story was that once a woman uh, smuggled a man into her room and this man died of a heart attack so she woke the other uh, women in the corridor and together they put the man back uh, in his bed and his valet found him uh, dead the following day but no one talked like the fact that no one talked I think this is whoa and well, it's actually what happened because Thomas finds Pamuk dead in his bedroom. I just want to ask a question, like, how is it that Robert didn't wake up? Because first his daughter came into the room to wake up his wife that was sleeping next to him. And like, she has to go all the way around the bed because Robert sleeps on the side that's closer to the door. Then Cora wakes up and then Cora had to come back really early in the morning and he doesn't wake up how i mean he must be a really heavy sleeper i mean thank god he didn't wake up because i don't know like what might have happened if he did every time i see that episode i think about like how did he not wake up and thank god for them that he didn't and so now i thought it would be a good time to talk about the french word of the day um so since Mr. Pimuk died in Lady Mary's bed. I thought I will give you well the word bed. So in French, bed is lit, and it's uh, masculine, so it's un lit, and it's written L I T. So that's really easy. 
So a bed is un lit. Let's go back to our story. So after all that, Evelyn, well, I want to say poor Evelyn in this situation too, because the guy was supposed to uh, take care of Pamuk and the guy just died. <laughs> I mean, that must have been quite complicated to deal with, but he's still trying to be closer to Mary. He goes and talks to her. Obviously, she's still in shock by the whole Pamuk situation. He's really nice, you know, he says, you know, nothing, no more concern for your parents. I would take care of everything. Actually, he was a terribly nice fellow. I wish I could have known him better. I took him on as a duty, but I liked him more and more the longer I knew him. Perhaps you saw his qualities for yourself, which obviously you did. Something I hadn't noticed, but it's something that Brendan Patrick said on Instagram uh, about this scene. Uh, he said that if you look closely, when Evelyn is talking to Mary at that moment, he's rubbing his ring finger in worry because at that moment he's still preoccupied by thoughts of marrying her. And I love the idea of it. This is very clever. And I, I, I noticed that he was like rubbing his finger, but I never realized it was the ring finger and it was because of that. So yeah, very clever, like it. And we said that Daisy so... Mary, but she is shocked by what she's well obviously I mean she's a child and she just saw a dead man being put back in his room by Lady Mary, so that must be really shocking. And well well Evelyn is leaving and before leaving he's going to talk to Cora. Um and well she understands that it would not uh, go further with Mary. And I really love this uh, conversation because when he says that he thinks that his future wife should find him interesting. And I like when he says that marriage should be based on love, at least at the start. And I think that is really sweet and romantic, especially when we know that Robert didn't love Cora when he married her. But I like it and I really feel really bad for him. Yeah, poor Evelyn. And I love him. He's such a sweet guy really like him. And there was again a cut line when um, Cora asked Evelyn Pamuk's mother's uh, address because she wants to write to her. And she says to him, you build up your dreams for your children and then fate just smashes them to pieces. So yeah, she would definitely never forget what Mary had put her through that night. And then about the whole situation, we had talk between Robert and Carson. And even Carson says, well, you know, he was a handsome stranger and the next minute he was as dead as a doornail. He has also like <laughs> the best images when he speaks. <laughs> the fact that even he called him handsome, I just found it funny. And well, Robert's like, well, it's been horrid, for, especially for the ladies. And well, they've been really shocked by it. And then... We must have a care for feminine sensibilities. They are finer and more fragile than our own. Well, Robert, if you knew what your wife, your daughter and one of your maid were up to that night, well, you were not ready for that. When your mother tells you she's ready to do anything for you, would she be ready to move a dead body in the middle of the night? Oh, and then Violet comes in. And where she always has the best words to cheer up everybody. This scene, I think this scene is really funny. But 
sometimes like Violet really like <laughs> I mean obviously she's kind of shocked like oh my god how could you have died no Englishman would dream of dying in someone else's house Especially someone they didn't even know. Oh, Granny, even the English aren't in control of everything. Well, I hope we're in control of something, if only ourselves. But we're not. Don't you see that? We're not in control of anything at all. Mary is definitely not pleased with her grandmother's comments. She explodes at the moment. And I like it because Cora is angry with her behaviour because obviously after what happened, she's like, you have to keep a low profile. And she does the opposite. And so where Violet, thankfully, she's like, no, she had a shock. Give her some space. But you can see how annoyed Cora is by the reaction because she's really like, can you please just shut up for once in your life, please? Because this is absolutely not the moment to draw attention on yourself. But yeah, like I said, Violet always the one to cheer everybody up. And then we have a scene that I think is very moving between Carson and Mary in Pamuk's room. because. She says things to him and he thinks it's about uh, the whole situ- her whole situation, you know, like the fact, is she an heiress or is she not? And actually she just talks about her life and what happened with Pamuk. And well, we already knew that Carson was on Mary- Mary's side and that he's very fond of her. But I like when he says that the staff, everybody, we're all on your side in the whole heiress situation. And Mary asks him why he's always been so kind to her. And then I love his line. Even a butler has his favourites, my lady. And to end with this um, situation on a nicer note, like a more funny note, again, I really love Robert and Bates' scenes because they're like friends. It's like two guys just having a chat with each other, joking. And... Robert's kind of concerned by this whole situation with the whole political aspect of it. And um, and Bates tries to reassure him, uh, telling him anyone wanting to poison his food would have to get past Mrs. Patmore. And he answered, unless, of course, she's a spy herself. And I just had this funny little moment, especially between the two of them, because, uh, again, they say things to each other they can't say with anybody else. And the fact that they're supposed to be like an aristocrat and a servant, but they are really close to each other. I really like it. And let's talk about Matthew. Because Matthew, in this episode, he has been worried for Mary. We realize that he is starting to have feelings for her. Because, well, last episode, they didn't really like each other. But now we realize that he, yeah, he has feelings for her. And, well, he's been worried, like, uh, when... Uh, she's hunting and he's with Edith. He talks about her. When we have the story of the whole uh, Mr. Pamuk, he just, he's wondering how she is doing. Uh, we're doing dinner. He's very annoyed by uh, her being only interested in Pamuk. And in, in the end, she comes to find her and ask her how she's doing. So he attempts to get closer to her and we can see that she is not completely, um, she does not reject him like she used to. But yeah, that's the beginning of something new. Apparently, they do not hate each other. Not now, anyway. Then we have our two favorite villains, O'Brien and Thomas, smoking and plotting. And talking about 
what what happened to Pamuk because Thomas told her that he led him to Lady Mary's room, but he found him dead in his bed. And O'Brien senses that something might not be quite right in this whole situation. And so obviously she will not let it rest because O'Brien likes to cause trouble. So wherever she goes, if she sees there is something that is screaming trouble, she goes right into it. And we had the beginning of a new storyline because at the moment, Mrs. Patmore didn't see the flower and can't maybe it looked or sounded not important, but it is the beginning of something new. Well, that's the end. That's it for a scandalous episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I mean, this episode, it is something. I think it's the moment the show took another turn because, my God, so many things are at stake with this situation. So, yeah, I hope you liked it. I can't wait to read what you think about it. And, uh, well, please write to me, leave a review, comment, send me a DM on Instagram, anything. I would love to hear your thoughts about this big scandal. And I will see you next week for episode four, that called The One with the Trousers. Until then, take care of yourself and don't forget. Vive le défense!